Yo, we are back in business. We've taken a little break here. This is the One More Jump podcast, but uh, we're back. We are back and better than ever. We're rejuvenated. We're excited to be producing some some more content and podcasts. Um, this is Jake. Josh is not here right now. Um, he, I guess that brings me into why we took our little hiatus. I think a lot of people with this whole COVID thing have uh, one thing that really, you know, becomes very clear is that uh, scheduling and things like that is just insane. Especially if you own a business like I do, it um, we've gone through just so many things over the last two months with our business, and and you know we want to make sure that we're providing you know number one the most quality product to all the people who are a part of Rise Athletic Club, and we want to make sure that our focus is is on them and providing them with good pole vault instruction and now distance running instruction as well. Um, but we. So I had to take a little bit of a break. We, I was not able to manage both of these things. Josh is in a similar situation with he's in sales and uh, he needed to buckle down and do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to continue to produce these podcasts, but sometimes I'll be here by myself. Sometimes Josh will be here by himself and um, I sometimes we'll both be on, but you know, we're going to continue to try to get it out there because we really actually just enjoy doing it. Um, we enjoy the whole production. We enjoy talking with the people. So, um, and we have some people that actually believe it or not, like listening to this podcast. Um, but with that being said, let's just get right into it. Uh, we have Tony Holler on the podcast today and he is the head coach at Plainfield North High School. Uh, he, the majority of his career was actually at Harrisburg High School uh, down in Southern Illinois, where he has won three um, state championships. This is over his whole career, over the different schools that he's taught at, or coached at, I'm sorry. Uh, so three state championships, um, nine state track and field trophies, um, 13 individual state championships by athletes that he's coached. Um, I mean, this could go on while I'm reading his resume right now. This could go on for a, a pretty, a pretty good, good time here. Uh, he's the creator of feed the cats, um, which is a, uh, I don't know what you would consider it as a coaching philosophy um, based around speed. Uh, he's a speed guy, really big speed guy. And then uh, he is also the co-owner of the Track Football Consortium. I don't know what consortium means, but it sounds very fancy and something that could help people a lot. He's very controversial. I'm just going to put it out there. And he knows that I don't mean that in a bad way. He, uh, he's just not afraid to call people out. Uh, he really believes in what he does. He strongly believes in his his um, process and the way that he coaches. And whenever you do believe in something like that very deeply, it's it's hard to kind of not you know create enemies because he really you know feels that the way that he's doing things is right 
and he becomes protective over, you know, his athletes and, and the way that he does them. And he doesn't want to see um, athletes, you know, taught the wrong way and things like that. So um, he, like I said, he's, he's commercial, controversial. He calls some people out during this podcast, but uh, I mean, you got to hand it to him. He's got a good background. He has credentials. He's had a lot of success some of the best sprinters in the country um, he's, he's coached and, you know, you know, like him or not, he is who he is. And he, you have to respect somebody who is who they are at all times. He doesn't pretend to be anybody that he's not. And uh, me personally, I respect that trait in people, but I hope you enjoy the podcast. It was a lot of fun and uh, let's get into it. Try and stump you a little bit on some stuff uh, to see, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> but um, anyway, I think I think we probably just get into your background. We were just talking about uh, you were at Harrisburg for a while, uh, which is a really really good track program down in Southern Illinois. And so I guess just get you know tell us about your track background and and how you got into coaching and and even your athletic background and things like that. Yeah, I, I was, it's kind of weird that I end up being a, uh, a track coach, being known for being a track coach. Was, that was not really what I wanted to do. My dad was a basketball coach, 47 years, high school and college. And uh, it's probably very similar to your relationship with your father. Um, I was the oldest. Um, I went everywhere with my dad. All I ever wanted to do was to play basketball, be a basketball coach, all that kind of stuff. And so I went to college at Knox College. and. Uh, I played basketball and ran track. Track was always like the stepsister sport, like it is, you know, like with a lot of athletes. Right. And, um, you know, I was a quarterback in football and, and, you know, a good basketball player. And I was a good track athlete, but I didn't like track. But I was just good enough that it just kept sucking me back in, you know. And, <laughs> and so uh, even though I was – I describe myself as a miserable track athlete uh, in terms of just not liking the sport – which later had a huge impact on the way I coached. Um, um, that's the way it was. And so I was a head basketball coach when I was 23 in Harrisburg, which is unheard of. Uh, we were actually, a, they were actually a double A school with a two class system then. And uh, so I was kind of coaching in the big time in basketball. And when I was, uh, when I was 23 and I was just one of those uh, assistant track coaches that just showed up for practice and really didn't want to be there. Uh, they just kind of needed me. And since I ran track in high school, school and college and all that stuff they're like well we need help okay but then I got fired as head basketball coach in 1990 and I was hired as the head track coach one month earlier because they couldn't find anybody to take the job not because they liked me or anything <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was like it was ridiculous so with a with a, a young big family I had four kids and a wife that taught we were stuck in Harrisburg Illinois and at that time, I thought we'd probably die there someday, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and so I had to reinvent myself in a sport that I really didn't even like, which was track. Right. And if anybody knows about uh, Class A track and field from 1990 to 2004, um, Harrisburg won eight uh, trophies during that right. period of time. And that was going head-to-head -head with a Leo team 
that actually had won one double-A state championship, I believe in 1995, this is a weird thing, in 1995, uh, Leo, I believe, won the state championship double-A. And, and, and then all the other years, they were class A. So Harrisburg and Leo were fighting each other all the time. You know, a private, almost all-black school from Chicago and this hillbilly school 20 miles from Kentucky. And it was just, right. we both had great athletes and all that stuff. So, you know, sometimes you just have to grow where you're planted, you know, and, and uh, uh, right. life throws weird stuff at you. And, uh, and I had to reinvent myself as a track coach. So um, that's really been my last 30 years. That was in 1990 that I became a head track coach. So, so it's been 30 years now of, of wow. that's kind of my gig. That's uh, really crazy. I I uh, I really like that saying. Actually, that's a really solid saying. Grow where you're planted. You're pretty good yeah. at sayings. I re I read some of your stuff online, <laughs> and you you got some pretty solid one liners. Thank you. Um. So how do you? So so I mean, and if those for those of you that don't know, Harrisburg was very very talented. So like I was you know, I grew up in a track and field family. So I, I knew, and my dad was from Southern Illinois, like the Mount yes. Vernon area. Um, and, and so we, we knew that, uh, Harrisburg was, you know, very good. And then my, I think my dad one day was like, Hey, I, yeah, I heard coach Holler is coming up North. And so how, how do you end up in, in Plainfield, you know, however many hours away from, from Harrisburg? Yeah, well, it, it was, <laughs> that, that even gets crazier in 2004. I mean, we, we were just on top of the world track and field wise in 2004. But my son, Alec, who was a terrific basketball player, um, was having probably one of the worst basketball relationships with the basketball coach you could ever imagine. And I, I think, you know, you saw the stuff with Texas Tech. They just fired their coach over abusive situations and stuff. This was an abusive situation. And, you know, and, and as a as a coach myself, I, I described it as kind of like a, if you were a surgeon and had to watch, you know, some quack operate on your kid, um, it's just hard to watch. And it got, it literally got to the point that we moved our family because of a basketball coach. It, it's just wow. crazy, crazy stuff. I moved a family, you know, a family of four kids and my wife, and we went to Franklin, Tennessee, which was, in my opinion, the best uh, the best high school in Tennessee and just a fabulous place, just barely South of Nashville. It's where all the music people live and all that stuff. And, and so Alec moved as a senior and he had a great senior year at Franklin. Uh, we loved it there, but Tennessee does not pay their teachers very well. Right. And so it was very strange. We just stayed there for two years and I got this, I got, um, my, my dad told me there was a new school being opened up called Plainfield North. Mm -hmm. And everybody said it was going to be the new Nequa. It was, you know, just South of Nequa. Right. And, yeah. And you know, that sounded pretty good to me. And, <laughs> his, and he said, guess, guess who the principal is? I said, I have no idea. He goes, well, Pete Pasteris. I go, no way. Pete Pasteris from Oswego high school. Well, he was a classmate of mine at Oswego. Okay, cool. And so uh, my dad said, Oh my God, they've, already hired Joe Gura as the basketball coach and Dan Darlington is a family friend of ours as the football coach. You know, you ought to give him a call. I gave Pete a call and he said that nice that we're going to bring you in. So, That's awesome. So, uh, so here I moved from 
at Franklin, Tennessee, which was wonderful, but I was the only track coach. No assistance. 72 oh. athletes. 72 athletes on my 2006 track team. And I was the only coach. And we were good. But it was like swimming upstream. It was really going to be a hard way to finish my career. And so I got to come to Plainfield North for a $20,000 pay increase and an indoor track. So, um, uh, so it's, and I, I think I always wanted to start a program at a new school. And so I was the first head coach at Plainfield North in uh, the year school year, 2006, 2007. And so I got to keep all the indoor freshman records, indoor sophomore. I mean, I, 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 I probably established the best record keeping for the history of a school ever because I got to start a program. Right. So it's been right. a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, and that's kind of like where you, I mean, obviously you did an incredible job with, uh, you know, down in Harrisburg and all that stuff. Like you guys had a lot of success, but I feel like, like when you started Plainfield North is whenever, you know, I started to like really take notice that you were kind of going I don't know, like into a, a different way of coaching uh, sprinters and things like that than what uh, I guess, quote unquote, a, a normal sprint coach would do. And I, for people who don't know, and I, I don't mean this in a, in a bad way at all, but I, I, I feel like you're a little bit controversial with the way <laughs> that you coach. <laughs> and I, like I said, with all due respect, with all due respect. Um, but I, you know, for a lot of great, you know, coaches and great people, um, are controversial. And, uh, yep. I think that's kind of, it's exciting. So why, why would you say people may see you as a controversial head co or coach of the, of the sprints or, or whatever? So do, are you only in the sprints then? So in, at Plainfield North right now? Yes. I, I, uh, I mean, I oversee the hurdles and, um, um, and the jumps, but, uh, I'm totally divorced from the distance. Andy Dirks <laughs> runs them, you know, they're their own team, you know, and then, you know, big schools like we have, you, you can't meet as a full team. There's no place that can hold y'all. So, okay. So, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop you right there because that is one big thing that I like when you said that, I was like, hold on, what? Because some people are going to be like, oh, hold on, you can't meet as a whole team? Like, because when <laughs> I when I grew up, when I grew up in track and field in high school, it was, you know, everybody sits around in a circle and we stretch out and we count to 10 on each stretch and we, and we yep. you know, do all of these things and everybody does the same workout. And then after you're done with that same workout, then you can go and you can try out some of the field events and things like right. that. Um, so go a little bit deeper into that. So, you, okay. so you're saying you can't meet with, with a school. I mean, how, how many kids are at Plainfield North? Maybe 3,000, four? Yeah, it's, it's 2,400. 2,400. You know, okay. We have, we have about a hundred on our team. And, and, you know, as you know, where we, where we are, there is no outdoor track until April hundred percent you know so so we're lucky enough to have a field house but the field house you know i mean it's a four-lane track around you know it's not like a big thing there's three basketball teams practicing there's the girls are over on the other end sometimes there's wrestlers on the curve so so there's just no way that we're going to put 100 kids um 
into a classroom and we're not going to meet in the cafeteria <laughs> right. to stretch. Uh, once again, this is controversial because I'm a real team guy, but I believe team can have, um, can have distinct groups, you know, like our three groups are the, the throwers, the distance guys and the sprinters. So the thrower or the distance guys and the sprint group are about the same size. It's about 45, 45. We have about 10 throwers. Right. And, and, you know, if, if you think, um, if you think I'm counter controversial, one of the craziest things, this, this will make people just hate me, but, uh, we cut, <laughs> we cut, we have trials. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Is <laughs> <laughs> the podcast over now? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, how, when, where, where, I mean, in our day and age, where do we draw the line? I mean, because the reality is, is you're saying you have a hundred kids on, what is it? 160 meter indoor track. It's 178. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So 178 indoor track with yep. basketball, with yep. maybe wrestling, yep. with maybe cheerleading, with badminton, you know, with whatever is in there. So yep. you're saying that maybe it, maybe we might have to make a couple cuts here because we're not going to be able to fit 100 kids into this and give the kids who really, really want to be you know, something really great in track and field who right. live and breathe it. We want to be able to give them the instruction that they deserve. Um, so yeah, go into that, the cutting. Yeah, thing. I love talking about this because, you know, one <laughs> of the things I think I've done for track and field is that I have created um, a feeling that track and field is just as damn good as football and just as damn good as basketball. And we don't have to take a backseat to anybody. Period. I like that. I like and, that. But if we are going to have that proud attitude, then we cannot be um, uh, like be more proud of being a non-cut sport than we are of the performances that happen. We have we have to we have to tell our kids that track is a sport where the best athletes from one school compete against the best athletes from another. It is not recreation, mm -hmm. and that's the way it's run at most middle schools. At many high schools, I mean, coaches, they run it like recreation or a physical fitness springtime or something. So what we do is you have to be pretty fast. You have to be pretty fast to make my sprint team. And um, when I say I cut, I do cut them. I said, but you know, I'm nice to them. And right. I say, it, you're not fast enough to be a sprinter. Now you can go to the distance group if you want. And we actually, I, it's one of my favorite stories. Omar Paramo was uh, six years ago, was running, he was, he, he was running about 17, 18 miles an hour, which isn't fast enough for us to really want to keep a kid. He was about our 12th fastest freshman. And I said, you know, Omar, you could go to the distance group, but I'm not going to keep you. He goes, okay, where's the distance group? I go, oh, they need over in the corner. And so I took him over to coach Dirks and, uh, Four years later, he sets he, he set our mile record. Wow! He, he ran four twenty. Um, I believe I believe he was a, a junior college. No, wait, at St. Francis, he was an All American. Um, you know, last year. So I mean, we're talking about a terrific runner, a really really good runner. So you know, I tell kids that not everybody gets a singing part in the school play. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean you suck as a human being. It just right. means you might have to be, you know, do something else. Um, but I think there's a reason why the varsity basketball team doesn't have 45 guys on it. Yeah. 
You know what that I mean? Makes, I mean, it's just common sense, to be honest with you. It's just common sense. But I think what – I you cannot deny that track and – like, okay, I can't – you know, you can't do this. You get cut from this. You get cut from baseball. You get cut from, you know, soccer. You get cut. If you get cut, you go do track. Like a lot, a lot of, a lot of times that's what happens. And, and And that's why, and yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, I don't understand like how it became what you're talking about, which is like a springtime physical fitness time, you know, and, and do we both, you know, do I not believe in springtime physical fitness? No, I love, I, you got to, you know, stay in shape. But the reality is, is that like you, there needs to be some sort of, of uh, process for like, Hey, you know, this is, this is something that, you know, I don't know if you want to create something really, really good. Um, you know, you got to do that. And, and, you know, by you, you know, cutting that, that athlete that you were talking about that, you know, opened up the doors for him to do something else. And, and the, the strange thing for me coming from the pole vault side is the pole, pole vaulting is, uh, to be good at it, you've got to be uh, exceptionally fast. You have to be exceptionally strong and you have to be exceptionally athletic crazy, and, and crazy and exceptionally yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the, it baffles me sometimes how there are so many head coaches out there that will uh, be like, Hey, you're not fast enough to sprint. You're not fast enough, not fast enough to run distance. Uh, why don't you go try the pole vault? <laughs> it's like what the heck are you like i don't get that but no, uh anyway no. i'm gonna i'm gonna let you keep going because honestly all the things that you're saying right now are if you really if someone's being really honest with themselves it is common common sense stuff you know like right. and and it really is just i think that it i think the reason you're controversial about it is because you actually say it and you just like, <laughs> you're not well, you know? coaches are really they're amazingly loyal um um, coaches do not like to criticize other coaches' programs. Yeah, and I will, because because I care much more about the athletes in another coach's program than I do about that coach. Now that's yeah. awful to say, I guess, but but I'm proud of that because <laughs> there, there are kids that are that are literally being abused. Their speed is being ruined. Um, they are training in stupid, archaic ways, and the coach is a stubborn mule, and it just hurts me to see that, you know. And I, I won't call him out by name unless it's quite hard. I, I do talk about it. <laughs> I, I talk about it about the greatest coach that's ever lived. Um, yeah, I right. will call Clyde out by name because I think Clyde can take it. Um, but, no, I, um, it, it all started in 1999. And, and I call it Feed the Cats now. Uh, but, but what I wanted to do, as I alluded to earlier, I was a miserable track athlete in middle school, high school, and college. I was a 6'2 basketball player. And what event do they put 6'2 basketball players in? The 400. Mm. And, mm. So, and so I, you know, I had a lifetime of 10 times 200. And like, oh. you know, <laughs> It was, that was my life, you know, and, and I get it. Yeah. And, you know, practice wasn't supposed to be fun and practice was meant to be tough. And, and, <laughs> and, and I never reached the ceiling. I was good enough, but I never reached what I should have reached. And so in 99, 
my son, who I talked about earlier, he, he could dunk in the eighth grade. And so he was an athlete. And he told me, Dad, I think I'm going to play baseball. And you can imagine what, what Tim would have said, your father. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if you would have said, Dad, I think baseball sounds like more fun than pole vaulting. He, he would have <laughs> asked himself, what am I doing wrong here? And so that's what I did. Instead of getting mad at my son, I was like, why at the age of 40 am I putting my track athletes through, through the same bullshit that I, put, that I had to go through? Why am I doing that? And so I said, what if we stopped running? All we did is sprint and jump. We would be an undertrained team, but I think that all the wide receivers and dunkers on the basketball, I think I'd get them all out for my team. And so I was just going to sell out. And it happened. And that's when uh, we won the four by one at the state meet three years in a row. Um, 99, 2000, 2001. Got fourth the next year, first the next year, fourth the next year. Um, state records. and Yeah. So anyway, it worked really well. What I found out, though, is that when we started sprinting in practice instead of running, we also started timing. We'd spike up, time, record, rank, publish. And that process made kids faster. And amazingly, by being 80% in shape, but 100% fast, and 100% happy, mm -hmm. my kids thrived. And people have asked me now, okay, maybe that's good for those super cats, you know, those great dunkers and all that kind of stuff. But man, you know, I care about the, the generic kids. Well, shut up. You know, I do too. I care right. about the generic kids. My freshmen got faster. My, the slowest kids on my team improved the most. So, so this thing that was really meant to be just a magnet to attract athletes organically morphed into a way of prioritizing speed and almost, well, totally ignoring, we have, we have zero aerobic fo focused workouts, zero. Right. We, now there's an aerobic benefit by yeah. crowding together anaerobic work. Like for example, you're probably in pretty good shape. Even if you did nothing but vault, you would, you would not have a big belly and, you know, you right. know, be huffing and puffing. You get in damn good shape by doing intense work. And so that's what I've learned. That you can throw out all those textbooks that talk about an aerobic uh, foundation coming into the season. All that does is get you slower. We build our, we want to be as fast as we can possibly be. We want to be performance ready on the first day and on the 10th day and on the 100th day. We want to be performance ready all the time because we're going to prioritize speed. Now, talk about controversial. As soon as, as, soon as I start writing about it and doing podcasts, uh, I, I uh, had five workshops in Ireland and England last September. Um, as soon as I start you know, being an evangelical tent revival type of guy, talking about how awesome this stuff is, that steps on toes. Mm-hmm. You know right. what I mean? Oh, there's, yeah. people, there's people who, I mean, who have coached the other way for 30 years and, and they don't like getting called out. <laughs> and, and so that's the controversial thing. One of my favorite things that ever happened, Michael Boyle probably belongs on the Mount Rushmore of strength and conditioning coaches. He's written like 10 books. He's out in Boston. He read a very mean spirited article I wrote about 
mainly about, you know, meatheads, you know, weight room people. Right. And because he was a weight room guy, he said, I've got to get this guy to come out to Boston. So he flew me out to Boston and introduced me to his 20 interns, and all that stuff, uh, as a heretic. And I wasn't, I remember heretics were burned at the stake, yeah. <laughs> but, but I didn't, I, I wasn't real sure what that was. So that day I looked it up on my phone and I looked it up and I was never so proud that a heretic stands up and tells the truth, whether yeah. it, he gets burned at the stake or not. Right. And so, and so uh, anyway, I am kind of a heretic and I'm a proud heretic and I'm somebody that believes, um, very strongly, my favorite Sunbolt song is uh, um, says that uh, you can't get far enough staying in between the lines. You know, I really think that that you got to get outside the lines. Um, mm-hmm. You got to be willing to be different. I think when if you're willing to be different, you crash the car sometimes, and the corrective measures that you make after those car crashes are ten times more valuable than doing it by the textbook. I totally, I totally agree. I, I, and, and what I need to be careful of here is, uh, becoming myself controversial through this, having this podcast with you, cause I'm agreeing with a lot of this stuff that you're saying. I'm, I don't know if I'm ready to just jump out and be, uh, on the controversial side just yet. So I'm going to be careful <laughs> with what I'm saying here, but this is, this is something that I'm, um, just kind of, you know, I don't know. I go back and forth with even mentioning this, but this is something that really happened at our club last year. So, so we run, you know, our, our vaulters at, at our club, we, you know, we jump from, and we jump all year round, but you know, in from like August until January, just pure progress, pure progress. It was going very, very well, going very, very well. And then preseason training hits at school. <laughs> And everyone starts tanking and I'm like, and I'm like, what is going on? What is going on? It's like, I got shin splints. My hamstrings hurt. My quads messed up. I got a big ball in my quad, you know, like all, all of these, all of these things. And I was like, man, this is uh, going to be kind of a, a situation here because what, what we're having an issue with is, is, we're just doing. You sound pretty much. controversial right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, but it's it's uh it's just we're we're doing we're doing so much right now, and so like that was really it was really hard because they would come and they would jump and then, you know, they they but they'd be pounding their legs, pounding their legs, pounding their legs, and then you know it was it was just difficult to 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 manage that, and you know at the during the whole preseason we were doing lifting and things like that. And then eventually it was just like, no, we got to stop lifting. Cause if, you know, if they're lifting at their schools, we're going to let them, you know, do that or whatever. And we never, we never want to, you know, step on anybody's toes over at the high schools because we, we respect them and, and their choices and what they choose to do, you know, with their athletes. Um, but it, it is difficult for, that classic high school coach to to wrap their head around kind of what you're talking about so so what you're saying is is less is more sometimes one of my sayings um and 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 it's it's interesting i I have like seven or eight really good slogans 
and none of them, and people say, man, you ought to market those and stuff. Let's just say no weight room person would ever put them up in their weight room though. One of my favorite sayings is do less and achieve more. And I truly believe that as soon as you make that commitment, example, uh, Los Angeles Dodgers last year set every franchise record in hitting. I, to the typical coach, uh, they probably think, oh, they must have worked their double time. They must have worked their ass off. No, right. instead, they put a limit on the time in the batting cage. Wow. They limited point. Guess what happens if, if you know, you, you know those guys are addicted to hitting. You know, like if right. you say to that guy who gets 500 swings every day, you only get 100. What happens to those 100 swings? You right. know, I they, they become extremely high quality swings. It, it's not even close. Right. And so, so what you were doing is, is totally feed the cats, 100%. What you were doing, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you were prioritizing performance mm-hmm. every day. Yes. Right? Quality over quantity. That's right. Performance. You, you had no six-week times that you said, we're not going to worry about vaulting right now. We're just going to get in shape. Right. <laughs> yeah, we no. don't do that. I mean, no. <laughs> well, because it, like you said, vaulting is going to get you in shape. Vaulting is extremely hard. It's, it's, it's very, if I were to go and take three jumps right now, I'm older, obviously, now. But if I were to go take three jumps, I would be sore for a while. It is, it is high intensity. And the thing about pole vaulting is that you, there is no in-between. Like, it, there is no, ah, I'm just going to go 50% on this jump. You know, because then you run the risk of hurting yourself. Like, if, like you could go 50% in the sprints. Because what happens if you go 50% in the sprints? You just run slow. You know, you go 50% in the vault you really can mess yourself up. So we need our athletes there at their nervous system needs to be clicking. You know, it needs to be clicking every single jump down the runway. And if I see two jumps in a row where I feel like that nervous system is not turned on and is not engaged the way that it should be, your workout's done. You know, well, I only took took seven jumps. Workout's done, man. Shut it down. Do you want to, are we trying to get better here? Are we trying to get better here? Or are we trying to just, you know, you're, 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 you've joined our club so that you can improve. And what I'm telling you is going to improve. Like, but that, what I guess what I'm at the end of the day, like it, it was hard for me as an athlete to get to the point to where it was like, hold on. So now I'm only going to do three power cleans today and that's it. And I was like, there's no way this will work. There is absolutely no way this will work. I'm going to do three power cleans and then I'm going to take tomorrow off. And, and, and then the next day I'm going to do like five times 50 meters. It's like, what the heck? And then that year that I really just was like, you know what? I'm just going to roll the dice, see if this polarized training works and then see what happens. I end up having a personal best, got second at us nationals and it was the best year of my life. And, and, but it was so hard because you have to, it's, it's going to take a while for people to buy into what you're talking about because we are still like, I grew up in the generation of my dad was Rocky, man. 
it was just like, it's just get a log and walk up the mountain, baby. And guess what you're going to do tomorrow? You're going to get another log and you're going to walk up the mountain again. You know what I'm saying? And then, and you're going to completely annihilate yourself. And if you're not completely killing yourself every day, you're not trying to be as good as you can be. And, and that, that gets deep into your soul and you start to really believe that. And you start to be like, yes. And you start to be like, okay, well, I didn't wake up at four o'clock today and start hammering, you know, like, so I'm not trying to be as good as I can be, you know? And it's like, whoa, dude, no, 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 no. It's the complete opposite. (laughs) It is. is. You are, you are, a hundred percent a feed the cats guy you're a, a total guy <laughs> total you know like like you said you know like like oh well you don't have to sprint at full speed well that's all we do yeah. like charlie if, if you said what classic sprint coach do you think you know you really charlie france is probably the guy um for me but charlie used to do tempo running i'm like why would you ever want to do like 200 meter runs at 28 seconds why would you ever i know it's weird he has reasons he has yeah, his reasons right i just don't because i am going to prioritize speed i'm going to see things simply and by the way have you read the book essentialism Mm-mm. please read it because write that down uh it is uh it will it will not change your life because you are already an essentialist <laughs> but but what it will do is that you will realize how right you are. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I like books like that. <laughs> that's really important to read books that, that reaffirm the fact that you're not crazy. But, but yeah. no, if, if, if running really fast is what is important, then anything that interferes with that, I'm going to look for something else. If I, when you're talking about vaulting, my son, I'm sitting at my, in my son's house right now. My son is the best hurdle coach I know at Edwardsville High School. Mm-hmm. Um, coached the state uh, rec- record holder, um, 1359, wow. Travis Anderson. Yeah, we're proud of this. That I coached the fastest 100-meter guy in the history of the state. And my son coached the fastest 110 hurdler in the That's history of the crazy. state. That's crazy. Isn't that cool? That's, That's cool really cool. It is cool. Um, and, and, but anyway, the... Um, he never goes over more than two hurdles at a time in practice. About once or twice a year, he may go over a third. They never, ever care. And this is in the 300s as well. They don't care about the second half of the race. Because, wow. because if you have problems in the second half of the race, it almost always is something you did wrong in the first half. Okay. And they never hurdle without spiking up. They never hurdle slow. They never hurdle tired. They never hurdle injured or depressed. And I would think that you would agree with those things in vaulting. You don't want to vault tired, Mm-mm. vault depressed, vault Mm-mm. injured, vault slow. No. Those things, you, don't, you would much rather have five. This is a great, I love this quote by Bowerman. This is a distance coach now from Oregon. He said that, that, uh, that extreme results never come from moderate exercise. Uh, yeah, Bowerman, he wasn't half bad either. That's He's a pretty right. good coach. Now, uh, now, what Bowerman believed was that, that 
they had to have some kick-ass practices, even with distance kids, that they could not go out and run casual miles. Um, they had they had to have practices that set up the next day's really important practice. Um, you do not get world records by by running moderate paces in practice. And I just mm-hmm. totally, if a distance coach can say that, you know, then, then you and I can say it too, that we, sure. want, we want to be extreme in our training if we want to have extreme results. Now, the ex- extreme is, the old school extreme was volume and hardness and World War II toughness type of stuff. Right. And I think, you and I, uh, our extremes are in focus, intent. Um, uh, I mean, we are performing in practice. Right. My guys are. I mean, we, and, and looking back, there was never a practice performance for me in any track and field situation as an athlete. Yeah. In practice, ever. We performed in meets. We trudged through hard stuff in practice. And it just flips the whole thing when you tell kids that today's a sprint day and, and the whole world is going to see your times. It does. And it adds a little bit of fire under their tail. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, kind of go against the grain on you with you on that just to see what you say. Okay. Because there is in my head, I feel like there is something to have, exploring your limits i i i find that fascinating and and you could say you could say well explore your limits in how fast you can get and explore your limits in you know how strong you can get and things like that um but there is there a place for athletes to is there should an athlete explore that a couple times in their life lives like you're talking about these crazy like uh you know oh there was one article that that you that you wrote that you were talking about some 200 workout or something like that it was like 2200s or like maybe i don't know maybe it was something different but is there should you have to earn that badge of honor one time or a couple times in your life like just completely push yourself to the brink to where you're like, okay, I, I don't know if I can take any more steps or whatnot. Yes. Let, let's talk about, um, and I, I think that is a really, really, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about Feed the Cats. One is that it's for elites only. Another is that uh, um, all we do is play a little grab ass and go home. You know, I mean, uh-huh. it's like, you know, it ain't nothing. We don't work hard and all that stuff. Well, that's, that's true in the off season, pretty much. Um, we, because all we care about is building a speed base. You know, mm-hmm. our limits that we are exploring is how fast can we freaking run? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and that is how you get faster, by the way. And there's no question in my mind. That's how you get faster. And, but once we get in season, we, we are going from a, a zero volume base. I mean, like we don't care about our volume at all to all of a sudden we have to be able to sprint for more than five seconds. Right. And so, and so to do that, 
we have to do what I call lactate workouts. I also love the word acidosis tolerance workouts. And they don't sound that hard. Um, example, uh, Marcellus Moore, um, you know, the, the tremendous sprinter I had, 10.31 in the 100 at the age of 15 wearing braces. Um, the third, place, third place in the big – how about this? You know, he graduated early this year, didn't have a senior year, um, goes to Purdue, and he runs in the Big Ten meet. He gets third in the Big Ten Jeez. in the 60 and gets fourth in the 200. And he's a 17-year-old pre-freshman in college. Wow. He, he will graduate. If he goes all four years at Purdue, he will graduate at the age of 20. Jeez. Anyway, <laughs> that's crazy, man. Yeah. So anyway, he's something. So yes, yes, he is. Uh, uh, now getting back to Marcellus. Now, I treat all my sprinters, every single one of them. They're all 400 guys too. All of them. Um, I believe the 400 is a sprint, and so we have to not only learn how to sprint 100 meters, a 200 meters. Oh, by the way, this is weird, but having never ever run more than five seconds in practice marcel's he went 2109 at arkansas in the 200 wow 2109 his junior so you year. guys are running you guys so your preseason is is five second blast just five seconds just as fast ten, as 10 meter flies uh 20 yard competition flies 40 yard dashes um we do gauntlet 40s. So, yes, we never – I say anything you're doing for more than five seconds is working on something other than speed. It's not that it's not okay, yeah, worth, yeah. worth your while, but it's not working on speed anymore. Yeah, and that's so, even less than I thought. That's even less than I thought was, be, was not a lot. <laughs> Jake, you would be shocked if you visited a practice um, at, at how little we do. But you'd also be shocked that all my guys wear their spikes on their book bag and they carry them around. I mean, cause they're not going to run sprints without spikes when they get uh, time and right. those times get published. Um, the culture of speed uh, is very good at my school. So, but amazing. You don't really need a whole lot of work. If you're super fast for the 10 meter fly, you're going to be super fast in the first indoor meet in the 200 meters. Now the 400 is different. So, so all my sprinters go through, uh, usually eight, nine, or ten lactate workouts during the year, and this is this doesn't sound hard to the average guy, but I think you have enough background to understand that this might be a little harder than it sounds. Um, we will do, for example, three one fifties with the wind, run in, start. You know, we'll start at the um, the hurdle mark at the top of the curve, outdoor track, and we will time with free lap. Mm -hmm. And they have to do three one fifties, walk back rest, three minutes. So they're going to do three one fifties in a ten minute period. Yeah, that's extremely hard. Yeah, that that is. That is I mean, okay, and, and I, I, let me let me say what a hard workout back in my day was: eight three hundreds. Eight three hundreds is hard, right? But, but we're running them at like a 60-second 400 pace. Right. There is zero acidosis going on inside of somebody running eight 300s. Zero. And anybody that's ever been acidic knows that it is one of 
the scariest, awfulest feelings in the world. So, so what Marcellus would run, typically run and start, 16 seconds, 16 seconds, 16. And we call it our four by four predictor. We add up those three times, even those 450 meters, we call that his 400 predictor. So that's 16 plus 16 plus 16, add them up. That's a 48. That's what he ran the 400 as when he's 15. So, but the, if you could see those guys at the end of the third one, mm -hmm. I mean, Marcellus was, I mean, he would throw up probably 50% of our lactate workouts because oh, he was wow. a killer. He was a killer. Yeah. I mean, so when we talk about pushing ourselves to extremes, pushing yourself to an extreme as a miler or a marathon runner might be very different than pushing yourself to extremes as a sprinter. Well, what about, I mean, why couldn't you just, why couldn't you just apply the same thing at scale with distance running? You know what I'm saying? Like, why, why wouldn't you just, why wouldn't you just apply the same exact concepts except scale it to distance running? Like, you that's know what I'm saying? Cool I don't, question. I don't, I don't understand. Like, that's one thing that's bothered me so much about distance running is like one badge of honor in distance running. And I, I, I love distance running. I have not a lot of experience in, you know, coaching or whatever in distance running, but like one of the big badges of honor is a hundred mile week. Like, why you're a you're a two miler or, or 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 okay let's just say you're a 10k guy let's say you're a 10k guy in college but you're but you're doing 100 mile weeks i don't i just don't understand i feel like there's a point of diminishing returns on that you know like, for sure there is for sure and and but but you and i both know um uh, i mean uh when, when the two Torpy boys that ran for O'Malley at Sandberg, you know, they ran 147, 149, the 800. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're really fast. Yeah. Um, and they went to Miami of Ohio and, and their, and their track slash cross country coach um, made the statement that they were elite athletes with elite times that have never been exposed to an elite training system. Mm. Think about that. Uh, I think that if you could get 17 year olds to run 147 and 149, in the 800 there's something elite about their training <laughs> but, what this, that, yeah. but what this coach was talking about was he should have said not elite he should have said they've never been exposed to traditional college distance training right and then and then it's not as arrogant um <laughs> <laughs> once again this, this is why i'm controversial <laughs> I'll, I'll call out the head coach at miami of ohio and say he's a nut so anyway uh, and by the way they have not improved their times. They're still great runners. Right. But they have not improved. And about 70 to 80% of all college runners never improve on their PRs that they had in high school. And they get blamed, you know, like, oh, he wasn't focused or he partied too much. Or they get blamed, you know, anyway. So, right. But, but the truly, okay, John O'Malley, I sat out on the, uh, you would love to have been there. We, we were talking with this girl from Notre Dame. She's run a 52 in the 400 with zero sprint training, zero. She mm -hmm. was like a distance runner. She was trained as a distance runner and ran the 400. But if you can run, she's six foot tall. And if you can run 52 in the 400, you're a potential Olympian in the 800. Oh, yeah. Like next year. And sure. so that's what John and I were talking with this girl about. And 
John does a lot of this stuff. And that's why his four by eights are so good every year is, is his most important workouts are things like 300 at race pace, 300 float and 200 sprint with no interruptions. Yeah. Now that starts getting specific. I, I think you and I are both specific people. Yeah. Having said that, I, th there is a magic with aerobic training and distance running. There okay. is a magic, but I think, I think the thing that the distance coaches should lie awake at night um, thinking about is it's really a hybrid between fast running and having an incredibly good aerobic engine. And, and the hybrid is the thing that has to be constantly right. talked about. But I think, I, I think, think it's, it enough. I think it's that, I think the, I think one of the big issues is just that they, you know, some people will refer to it as like training in that, in that black hole area, you know, like where, you know, you're, you're not running super, super high intensity, high, you know, super fast, but whenever you're doing your volume, it's not, you know, aerobic it's, it's anaerobic. And like that, that's, I think is the problem is like, you know, we we're talking about aerobic and anaerobic, uh, training, but if, if you, if you do your, if you do your like longer, like, let's say it's a 20 mile run or a 15 mile run and it's supposed to be aerobic, you know, you, you really need to make sure that it's aerobic because if it starts to creep into anaerobic, you know, then you're really going to just completely smash your body, you know? So I could see aerobic training and putting in miles, you know, with, with that aerobic training and, and getting your, you know, aerobic capacity higher and stuff like that, uh, improving your distance running. But it's just, I, I don't, I don't, see i don't under i don't see how like having kids run like just tons and tons and tons of miles um you know and and hammering the whole time is you know what would really help them but anyway you know what i think we should do is we i think we should get off of distance running because you're a spring coach and i'm a pole vault yeah i'm starting to get depressed i'm starting to get depressed we just talked about for five minutes i don't think we have any authority to be talking about it i have zero authority to be talking about any distance running coaching at all the only the issue the thing is is that i i do a lot of i i i am i'm been getting into ultra marathons which is no. totally out of your wheel wheelhouse. I know. Yeah. It's it, well, our mutual friend of ours, Jason Crow, uh, head coach at Plainfield South. He's always been one, one of my favorite people in the whole world. And he's been, uh, you know, just an incredible mentor. I, he's to me. told and, me about that. that yeah. That you guys, you, you guys are doing like hundred mile runs or something. Well, or we were signed up for one. He, I mean, Jason, he does all kinds of, you know, stuff like that. Actually, this Saturday, he's going to try to set the FKT on fastest known time on the INM canal. So he, it's 85 miles and he's, he's going to try to set the fastest known time on that. And I'm going to, me and some of the, our buddies are going to help him out and things like that. But anyway, so I've been doing some reading on distance running and, and that's why, uh, I went down that rabbit hole, but anyway, okay. So back to high school track and field. Okay. You got a hundred kids and you know, you know how to get somebody fast. Okay. But 
how do you implement this? How, like, how do you implement something like what you're talking about with so many kids, you know, and how do you get your AD to buy into it? And how do you get your other coaches to buy into it? And how do you get your parents to buy into it? Because the reality is, is that the parents are probably like, what'd you do for practice? <laughs> it's like, what? You know, yeah. I remember back in my day, we ran 14 400s, you know, and if you didn't puke, then you weren't done, you know? And so how do you get people to buy into this and how do you, how do you, you know, manage it with, with all your kids? Well, I, I mean, I've had uh, maybe two or three parental questioners in the last 21 years. Okay. You would think it'd be a lot more. Um, because I am so extreme. Um, but just like in anything we do, um, you have to be able to, like you say, sell it. You, you, uh, all great coaches have charisma, all of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, what charisma is, is a way of talking where the kids believe you and, and, and they care if you are disappointed, it bothers them. That's what charisma is, and that's yeah. what all great coaches have. And, and some great coaches, because they have charisma, they have success without deserving it. <laughs> they're, they're, their programming sucks, but they still have success <laughs> because, I mean, Coach Crow, oh, he'll kill me if he hears this. Oh, boy. He'll, he'll kill me. Co- Coach Crow had four of the fastest guys in the history of high school track and field. Um, about 10 years ago, okay. um, I mean, they were so fast and, and I would argue with Jason that those guys were fast in spite of him that, that, <laughs> okay, you could, you could edit that out, I guess. Uh, no, leave it in. Jason would, uh, would laugh if he heard that. Um, but no, I, you know, Jason, I mean, yeah. I would run through a brick. I, I was going to message him um, last week. Um, I had a 25 mile week and I set my 2020 record in the two mile, the three mile and the four mile. Good for you. And I was going to, uh, and I'm 61 and I was going to message him that, that he probably is my biggest inspiration. Same with me. The stuff that he does makes me want to be better so so if i tell him that he was a that his sprinters were fast in spite of him that's not a lack of respect that <laughs> that is a healthy i love you jason but <laughs> right right so, so anyway um uh, so getting back to your question how do you implement it well first of all you have to have the charisma you have to talk about it you have to sell it um and, and part of your charisma comes from your uh, tradition, you know, like, right. Like success, success like, helps a lot. Like, Oh really? Are you questioning whether or not my guys can run a four by four? I've coached 17 all state four by four teams, you know, right. shut the hell up, you know, yeah. we're fine. Um, and, and I will talk like that, you know, to a, whatever. And, <laughs> and then I'll laugh about it and, and say, I was just kidding. Um, and then, so, so, so it's important you do that. And then 
if, if you could see what our sprint workout looked like, just imagine like 40 guys, we have six lanes on our straightaway. Um, so we're in like five of the six lanes. So it's like five lanes of eight, of eight guys stacked up. We go through like 10 very focused, very good speed drills slash plyos slash. Yeah, that's our, we don't do a warm up. We just jump right into stuff. And then we do three time sprints and then we go home. Yeah. And, and, uh, you have to take at least five minutes between a time sprint because that's how long it takes to get your ATP back and all that yeah. stuff. They all wear spikes. Nobody ever wears flats. Um, I time them all free lap. Uh, we'll get a video or a picture of somebody. Uh, we'll put it out on Twitter. It'll be on a Google doc. You'll see what everybody ran on that day, what they ran on every day this year, what their best time was last year, what their average best time was last year. We have so much data that we know where a kid has come from. If you know where kids come from. Yeah, that's hard to argue with. Then you know where they're going. Right. And, and, and there's so many motivational things we use with our record, rank, and publish. That that's really one of the key things that we do. And just the fact that I would say the average athlete, when they report to me, has never sprinted in their life. That sounds weird. Yeah. Have they, have they run fast? Yes. You know, they hit the ball and they run to first base yeah. as fast as they can. But they're not being timed. Those times aren't being published. They're not wearing spikes on a hard surface. So I would right. say you've never truly sprinted yeah. until, until you wear spikes, get timed, recorded, ranked, and published for the world to see. Now, when you do those things, all of a sudden, it changes. If, 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 if you tell a kid to run a 40, and you secretly time them. And then you say, run again, I'm going to time you. Which one would be faster? Yeah, it's just like my little girls, man. My little girls, if I yep. put a clock on them, they're going to go around that, you know, all right, see how far fast you can go around the house. If I don't have the clock running, they won't even do it. You know, <laughs> they won't even run around the house. But if I put the <laughs> clock on them, it's like, all right, here we go. And they want to know what that time is. And that, and that, and there is, I mean, adding, adding that, that, adds a lot of the competitive nature to it too. And, and I think that that is the way that you're training. Um, I think is it's, it's hard to put out the, the, the effort that you're looking for without some sort of, uh, competitive, you know, fire or atmosphere at practice. Like that's, that's one of the hardest things as a coach to recreate is a, the meat atmosphere in practice, you know, it's, it's hard to, to recreate that. And by doing that and adding that, that recording, and then what was it? It was, uh, record and rank and then publish record rank and then publish. And people really motivated. Those people who have ran on that day, none of them have lost because we yeah. run solo. So, so yes, it's feeding their, their times or they're competing against their old times. But they're also competing like, hey, buddy, what'd you run? You know, and, oh, I ran. So, you know, that makes them want to like run a little faster. But still, yeah. but still, that person really didn't beat him in a race. They just ran a faster time. And I think right. all those things are important. I think the fact that, um, I mean, kids, kids, I don't know if you remember high school, but high school sucks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's seven hours. I mean, like. Oh, you're, you're talking about the school part. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
thought you were talking about the the track part. I was like, uh, no, I kind of, yeah. I was digging it. I dug it. It was cool. <laughs> so anyway, so just imagine if if you had an entire group of kids whose favorite part of the day was track practice. Right. That's rev. That's revolutionary. And in it that is, practice, yeah. in that practice, we are going to compete, and um, and we're going to have fun. We're going to compete with a smile on our face, and we're not going to leave. Uh, saying that sucked, but at least it's over. Like every practice I ever went to <laughs> was like that sucked, but man, does it feel good when it's over. And um, right. and so and so my kids go, my sprinters go from sprinting to a weight workout with a football coach, and they're better weightlifters. They got a little bounce in their step when they leave my practice. Now you say, well, don't you have to work hard sometimes? Not in the off season. Not in the off season, you can prepare the most important things, which is running really fast. In season, you have to get more specific. You okay. got to start going over hurdles. You got to yeah. start. You right. Know. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, whenever I was in high school, it was, th this is basically kind of what, what it was whenever I went there. Well, first of all, before I go into that, I think part of the magic that you've created and, and, and kind of like a, uh, one of the best parts is you've created something that you can get anybody out for track because like, I think I read it somewhere where it's like, Hey, you know, I can get anybody out for a half an hour a day, you know, like, and, and it's like, man, if, if, if you don't require a kid to be there for two hours, two and a half hours, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, that's fine. Half an hour. Yeah, I'll just, you know, go change, do my spring workout and then go home and hang out with my buddies or whatever. And that that is a big factor, I think, in, in you know, how you've been able to, you know, get those really, really solid athletes is because they don't have to make that huge commitment um to you know going through a really really long practice every single day after school and then going and doing their school work and then trying to have a social life at the same time you know i love that and and here here's the other deal about that is um we are we are really crazy good at what we love yeah. period there you, go. you know and like i'm an anti-grind guy i don't believe in the grind you know wake up and and, and, you know, like fight through a bunch of miserable crap every day because you're a good man. I, I don't, I don't like that. Um, I think you should find things that you love. And, and I will tell this story forever, but Malcolm Gladwell talked about the Beatles before they put out their first album. Uh, they played 1,200 gigs before they put out their first album. 1,200, some of them were eight hours long. Whoa. And, and they easily put in the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. Okay. Right. But here's the deal. Was it a grind? Were they being driven and pushed to do that? Or was it because they loved their music? I would think it's because of love. Yeah. I mean, I think and, that, I think that we, we do stuff that, you know, like I always, the funny thing is, is one of my hashtags that I use for our club is the grind never stops. Like, and I, oh, no. I, I, I no. Yeah, no, no, no. Hey, hey, no, that's great. That's great. That's great. Because <laughs> the reality is, is like, you know, everybody's got their own definitions of these things too. Like, do you have to go through uncomfortable things, 
you know, to be the best you can be. Of course, you know, like you're talking about some of your best sprinters have lost races, have pulled hamstrings, have gone through dark times, you know, and that is, in my opinion, you know, that is, that is the grind. And why do they go through that is because you're exactly what you're talking about because they love their, they love the process of what they're doing and things like that. So whenever I, I think, I think that's a good point because people think of the grind as something negative. And, and in my mind, it's like, I always say, you know, the grind never stops for somebody who really loves what they're doing and who really wants to be good at it, you know, because I'm willing to go through some discomfort um, because I, I really, you know, truly believe in something or, or love something, you know? So, so the reason why I brought that up, um, and it, it is very semantics between grind and yeah, uh, this um, is a word. So, so we're, we're good. Um, the, uh, if we can get, for example, my best runner this year, Lavelle Patterson, I love Lavelle. Um, he got cut from the basketball team this year, uh, or, or he didn't go out this year because he didn't have a great experience as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. And, and so he heard that we do some timing after practice or after, you know, you know, during the winter. So he steps out and he runs pretty easy and runs pretty fast. And I'm like, Lavelle, me and you are going to be best friends. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and so uh, at that point, he still didn't love track. Right. He just probably went home and said, coach said I was going to be a great one, you know, which is pretty positive, <laughs> that's right. pretty positive stuff, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and so, uh, so Lavelle, uh, who had never run track before, ever. I mean, like before our first meet this year down at the Shirk Center at Wesleyan, um, they said, said, Coach, what can you tell me about the team we're going against tomorrow? And I said, we're going against 38 teams tomorrow, Lavelle. <laughs> he goes, what? <laughs> so, so anyway, we're talking about getting a kid who is totally a foreigner to track and field. Many of the kids are going to be. and giving them enough to get faster, like a minimum effective dose. But what happens is that when they start to like it, they want to do more. Mm-hmm. When they start to love it, they will find things to do more. He still texts me all the time, coach, what should I be doing? You know, like, That's because awesome. he loves it now. Right. He yeah. He's, it it's part of it, part of who he is. And, and, and yes, that's uh that's a very, but you gotta, you gotta be able to, you know, I guess, I don't know if set the hook is the right term, but um, kind of set that hook and, and you do a good job of that because it is that minimum effective dose. It is, yes. Hey man, can you give me 30 minutes? Can you give me 30 minutes three times a week? No, yeah. we don't even have to do five times a week, man. Can you do 30 minutes? And then it's like, oh, this kid finds that they have a superpower. And it's like, whoa, I'm pretty good at this. And it's like, hey, man, if you give me, you know, four days a week at 30 <laughs> minutes, you could, you might be a state champion, man. And it's like, holy cow. I always tell, I was, uh, one of the things that I always think about is, um, you know, I tell Crow all the time is that uh, the next pole vault state champion is sitting in a desk at Plainfield South. You know, like, and, and they, they just don't know it, you know, they just don't know that it's, that they're there yet. They don't know who they are yet, you know, and if they were exposed to the right person and the right situation, they could be developed into, you know, an incredible pole vaulter, you know, actually nobody's sitting in desk at Plainfield South right now, but no, 
Uh, nobody's in it that very many anyway, deaths, period. <laughs> they, they, it may not happen. You know, what, one of my sayings was, and I've been saying this for a long time, that every school has a great track team. Every school. They're just not out. Right. That's, that's that, exactly if, the same thing. If, yeah. If, if that's the case, why are we grinding them before they love it? Mm-hmm. You know, shouldn't we set the hook with, you know, with love and this is fun and all that kind of stuff and allow them to grow. I, I, I can't say the word grind, but grow into what <laughs> that word they use. All right. So I got a question for you. And, and we, uh, we try to keep these, you know, like right around like an hour ish or something like that, just to make sure that we, you know, respect the listener, I guess. Um, but this is something I was running the other day and I, I kept on coming back to this scenario from my high school career. Um, and this was not, uh, not crow. Um, but I, I, you know, got into a situation whenever I was in high school where I was, I was forced to, um, run a lot of quarters, a lot of four hundreds before I would pole vault. (laughs) I would be like, I'd be like, man, come on. And you know, guess what? I was a freshman. I was a freshman, man. Does a freshman really, you know, like the, the issue is, is that I was a freshman who grew up with a dad who was a really good pole vault coach. So I went in my freshman year and I knew a lot about pole vaulting. And well, what I did knew, you vault? How high you vault as a freshman? Uh, 14, uh, 14, <laughs> 14 or 14, three. Um, and, and what, what's your PR lifetime? 18, life t- 18, three. 183 was my lifetime PR. Uh, high school PR was 167. And then and so So Luke, so you weren't as good as Luke? Oh, no way. None of us were as good as Luke. Luke's he's on a different level, man. No, he I mean what, Luke, What's his lifetime PR now? Uh well, 185. So he's not he's not, you know, too much higher than me, but he's about to have a really good season this year because he's doing extremely low volume, high intensity work, uh, this year. And, and he's gotten so much stronger, so much faster. He's using the free lap over the last 10 meters of his run. My dad's recording all that data. It's, it's going to be an exciting year this year, but anyway, so I, I got into this situation, you know, and, and I, you know, was like, you know, like I, I don't want to run quarters before I jump. Like I, it's really hard for me. I can't really like my legs do not work. My nervous system shot. I, my knees are knocking together as I'm running down the runway. You know, it's not, not only is it going to be, I'm not going to be effective pole vaulting, but I'm, I'm, I kind of feel unsafe while I'm doing it, you know, because I wasn't jumping, you know, seven feet. I was, you know, jumping at like a 14 foot level. And this was the response. And I want to know your response to this. Um, You're doing it. Because the rest of the team is doing it. Yeah, I'm, I, as you know, there's no part of me that would be that way. Now, if a kid was ever, like, disrespectful, you know, like, right. you know, screw that, I ain't going to, you know, like, okay, then I'm going to – I have a hard time being respectful back, and I've, I've made a lot of mistakes as a coach, you know, like, in those situations. But uh, – Right away, what I, I mean, I, I truly care. This isn't lip service. I truly care more than anybody. Um, my best, uh, my best athletes. I truly care 
<laughs> that they are extremely happy and healthy and, you know, like have good vibes. Right. So if I had a great athlete, let's say that was a freshman who came in, you were probably running 52s or capable of it. If you're a 14 foot vaulter yeah. and, and I'm like, God, you know, we've, he's got to be a multi-event guy for us. Jeez. Um, I would probably have um, asked you to train with some lactate work during the week. Right. Um, but I would say, let me know if, if there's a better day to do this in terms of your vault training. I mean, I would treat a fresh. it sounds weird, but I would treat a freshman like, like he was an Olympian. Um, and, and that gives, that empowers that guy. Plus, I believe you as a freshman would have seen me as like your best friend if I'm treating you like that. Yeah, you, you feel good. Yeah, you feel good. And, and I, think, I think that is, you know, and, and I, I would never, you know, would like cast blame on anybody or anything because, no. I mean, he, we were under the same situation that you're in where it's just like, dude, I got this little field house. There's a ton of people in here. I, I don't know what to do besides, you know, kind of what we're doing, you know, like anyway. And, and, and the other thing too, is like, you can't, you can't let uh, like a, some freshman kid walk, you know, kind of call shots or whatever like that. So that's, I, I don't, I don't think, I think there's like a, a balance to be struck between that, but I, sometimes I, uh, I don't know. I just feel like it was uh, I know a exactly battle, a battle that I did not want to have to. I didn't want to have to fight, but and and it was uh, it was one that I had to fight for a long for a while, you know, until I until I proved sure. proved myself, you know. And that is traditional track and field, right there. Is that you're? It's a team sport, and you're not just a vaulter. What I would have done, though, besides just the fact that you know, like I would want you training with the 400 in mind. I would be talking to you about, about getting you into a four by four. Yeah. That would be after the vault, you know? Right. Hey, that, yeah. That, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, sometimes, know, sometimes, because you know how sometimes that vault, man, that'll be the last event, you know, like, and, and four by four will be over. And I remember so <laughs> many years where the four by four was over and it was like, all right, Jake, you're up for your first jump. And it's like, first holy jump. cow, man, it's been sitting here for five hours, you know, <laughs> just like getting ready to come in or whatever. But that does happen too much. But I, I, you know, I had a, a I had a state champion vaulter at Harrisburg. Um, Josh something. Kohler's. Josh yep. Kohler's. I, he, I watched him. He jumped on Pacer FX, Carbon FX's 15-6. Oh. Uh, yeah. yeah. so, I, I, I love the way that guy jumped. Yeah, I was, I was a freshman maybe. Was he? Okay. Yeah. Anyway. He was, you know, class A. Um, uh, great story. Obviously, if you go 15-6, you're an athlete. There's yeah. no question he could have run 51 for me or something. And we were his senior year, we we're state champs in the four by four. Probably didn't need him, but I literally never ran him in a race ever. Yeah. Because I kind of knew him and a great story. Uh, his dad, I allowed his dad to be his personal coach. Um, That's even though he call. wasn't on staff, um, um, his dad and Josh would drive down to Earl Bell. As, oh, wow. as frequently as possible 
Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, we, we had a 15, six and a 14 foot vaulter in a low class a school that didn't have an official vault coach. Yeah. Um, but, but the fact being though, my, not my 14 foot vaulter was like a 49 second quarter guy. Right. Um, he was really good. But I just think that, um, that you have to know your kids, you know, is yeah. I mean, and the vault is, the vault is almost like its own sport. It's very strange. It's very strange. It's uh, you. I don't know though, because I really do think that a lot of vault training is going towards very similar stuff to what you're doing. Uh, very, very, you know, polo that polarized training. Like if you're going to go hard, you're going very, very hard for a short amount of time. And then you're going to recover fully over the next couple of days. And then you're going to do it again, you know, or whatever. So there's, there's a lot of, I don't know, the pole vault is, is very, very complicated and there's many, many layers to it. But, um, anyway, all right. Last question here. If you were to sum up your coaching style in one word, what would it be? I already got the word for you uh, in my in my head. I'm just curious what yours would be. <laughs> um, I'd have to explain that word to you. Yeah. But, but, okay. But 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 the word is inertia. Oh. Okay. All right. So you want me to tell you what mine was? Go ahead. Mine was efficient. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's the okay. ultimate compliment. Yeah. yeah let's let's hear inertia. Efficient means kind of essentialism, you know, like we want to do the least amount possible uh, and, and, and get great things done um, right. and never ruin a kid's spring. Um, inertia, of course, is the physics thing that says that things will either stay at rest or move at a constant speed in the same direction unless acted upon by an outside force. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Well, uh, you know, I, I believe that the key to my coaching is that I've been, um, I've been able to keep it going in the same direction for a long, long time. Um, that, um, there have been outside forces. I've gone through hell as a coach. I've been fired as a basketball coach. I've been, uh, I mean, uh, I've said dumb things before and get called in. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I mean, I, my, you know, when you interview, they say, what's your biggest strength and what's your biggest weakness? Yeah, and they say only like the total losers say the same thing as the both, you know. But it is for me. It's it's my um, my enthusiasm, my excitement, you know, that kind of stuff's my biggest strength. But that's causes problems too. <laughs> You're you know? causing problems. Actually, oh. doing this podcast, I'm like, stop, stop, stop! No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Uh, but you can tell I'm having fun talking. Yeah. Heck right? yeah. I mean, you tell you're passionate about it and you believe yeah, in it. Yeah. And, and so, so yeah, I mean, like people say, what, what would happen if you were like stuck in a room with Clyde Hart mm. after all the, after all, right, all what's the, the, before we leave, what's the beef with Clyde Hart? Just no, no beef at all. He's the greatest coach has ever lived. Right. Um, but he's, he's one of those people who just hammers, right? Like right. a lot of volume. Right. He, um, Literally, I, I just did a, a webinar with like Clyde Hart versus Feed the Cats, and yeah. like Clyde Hart mid-season for 400 meter runners, they were running 5,300 meters of repeats mid-season. Jeez. We ran 
600 meters of repeats. Wow. In that mid-season. I mean, that's I, a big difference. It's a huge <laughs> difference. And then the problem with Clyde was that he coached 20 NCAA 4x4 champions. Yeah, so how did he do that? How did he keep them healthy? How did he have Michael Johnson and Jeremy Warner yep. and these people? He actually kept them healthy. I think what he would say, he kept them healthy by uh, working on volume instead of running fast. <laughs> and, and just toughening their joints and their ligaments and muscles and tendons up through yeah. the volume. Yep. And what I say is that my average freshman kid that I get probably has never been to a track meet. I mean, that's like my average freshman. Never right. even been to a track meet. Yeah. His his average freshman has run a forty six point something before you yeah. even met him. So right. So that kid is already really, really close to the genetic ceiling for speed. And so maybe you don't have to work speed with Warner and Johnson. Whereas what would happen if a high school coach adopted Charlie's, not Charlie, Clyde's blueprint um, for a high school program? I would think it'd be disastrous. You're not going to yeah. have a sprint. And I didn't so, think about the genetic like a peak like uh because because you're not going to eke too many more too much more speed out of somebody who's running 46 out of high school no they're already running 20 point right in the right. 200 whereas my my freshman who i'm kind of excited about comes in first time trial runs at 25 in the 200 yeah uh i'm sorry but we've got to get that kid down to a 22 if he's going to be scoring points at the state meet force for sure. so and so i the thing I really have a problem with is that people adopted Clyde's stuff for the wrong group of people and then made track and field suck because of the volume and ran off so many sprinters. And the people who really love Clyde, you can imagine, were the cross-country coaches <laughs> who yeah. also in many schools are also the head track coach. And, yeah, so, true, yeah. and so it really made sense to them that it was like a volume program for everybody all year round. And I just think I just wanted to make a situation where track didn't suck. Right. And so, so I'm the anti Clyde thing. So getting back to, if we were in the same room, like would I be like nervous and I, I would say, no, you're my hero, man. Yeah. You're, you are a better man. Than I could ever hope to be. I mean, I would sit down and say, say you probably heard of me because I'm, you know, Anyway, I would not be afraid to sit with Clyde because it's not personal. I just no. don't believe in this training for high school kids. I would be interested to see his response to that. That that you're you you just it's not that you think that it's necessarily wrong for who he's doing it for, but that it's just not right fit, the right fit for high school kids. I mean, Correct. I that that is I mean that is that's i i think you man you make good points you make very good points um i it's it's like and the other thing too that you have to take into account is that you're talking about somebody who's been through puberty and who's you know done growing you know going into college you know like or close to done growing going into college where you're talking about a skinny little freshman where it's just like if we just hammer you with volume your little tiny tibias are going to just shatter you know <laughs> like if if you continue to just hammer fresh like brand new freshmen with tons and tons of volume 
you know, yeah. and then you can, what you can do is you can take away their track career before it even started. And that is what, um, I guess that's probably where you you talk about like, um, you know, you just kind of get protective. You just get protective over kids and their careers. And, and I could see that. And I think that the one thing that you could really point to, um, that is sad is whenever you see a kid get completely hammered into the ground as a freshman or a sophomore and they get injured and they have a nagging injury their entire high school career and then they just never run again you know and that's that's just sad but anyway okay well you know i have actually have to get out of here but um i can't thank you enough you are i i could go on for a long time and like i said your points are super, they make a lot of sense to me, you know, and they may not make a lot of sense to a lot of people. And, and I think that, you know, there's, you know, for my side of things, the pole vaulting side of things, like I said, there's more layers to it, but I mean, I don't know, made a lot of sense and uh, controversial or not, if you know, you can, you backing it up with your, with your athletes too, you know? So at the end of the day, got really fast kids, uh, so maybe could take a few pointers off for coach Holler here. So, well, thank you. And well, where, fun, where can right? people, where can people follow you at? Like, uh, where can they find your stuff? Uh, I'm only on one platform on social media. I'm on Twitter, okay. uh, at PN track. And, um, uh, that's where all my stuff is. And I'm, I'm putting out huge amounts of content. This is a crazy thing. I, I've been talked into creating a don't laugh, but a feed the cats certification course. I love it. That, that there are great. people that want to become certified in Feed the Cats. And it's becoming a huge thing in football now. Yeah. In Texas, Georgia, Texas, Georgia, California, college coaches have been calling me. Um, where you can imagine in the grind of football, what would happen if they cared more about speed and power instead of getting tough and getting tired, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what, what could possibly go right? So anyway, all this stuff is going on. So I actually just created my first course, and it's going to be out in a couple of days. Um, and it looks like it'll be like 20, you know, like hour-long modules with little quizzes after them and stuff. And then yeah. there'll be like a certification test at the end. So it's something that, you know, I'm retired from teaching now. Thank God. Um, yeah. and, and Congratulations, I mean, by the way. Was this your last – when was your last year? A year ago, June. Oh, wow. Uh, Congratulations. So, so, That's awesome. Yeah, I taught for 38 years. I'm still the head track coach at North, but you know, I, I would not have been very good. I don't think in the COVID situation, you know, cause <laughs> yeah. I'm just not a, I'm not a very good stay between the lines type of teacher, you know, and you'd I have been a no, non-mask wearing one of them non-mask oh, wearing no, guys. No. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm on the other end of that spectrum. Okay, I'm a little yeah. left of Marx. Okay. And Lennon. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm a Bernie Sanders guy. This is a okay. funny story. I spoke at a Bernie Sanders rally on a Friday night and no man, way. I had, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That big crowd and I got them all riled up the next day. He got slaughtered in South Carolina and then oh. COVID hit. So, so whatever I said at that rally just, had <laughs> just absolutely sunk Bernie Sanders. And of course we had the pandemic that next week. So anyway, yeah, it's so, been a big mess, man. No, I just, as a teacher, it would have been really hard for me. To, I think in virtual learning, there's a lot of pretend learning going on. Yeah, and it's. I am uh, not a very good pretender, not, you know. 
Yeah, it's not the best. It's no, I, I think we're hard. all just trying to uh, figure it all out. And I, I, I think you know what I'm curious what I'm curious about. And I know we just keep on going on, but uh, the is you know we have like what's going to happen when we have the entire world on Zoom calls? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what's going to happen to the internet? Does the internet blow up or something? I don't know. It's just crazy because like you're going to have millions of people on this platform like at the same time. And it's not like a, it's not like a, you know, like, um, like Facebook or something like that. It's a video platform. I don't know. It's really, really strange. So I'm actually interested to see, you know, how it all works out. And I know I'm, I'm a PE elementary PE teacher. And, uh, so we have to, you know, create videos. Luckily I'm good with, I'm decent with technology and I can create some, some video content and stuff like that. Not too bad, but I couldn't imagine like, like my dad, like if they were like, Hey, you got to make video lessons for all your stuff. (laughs) I mean, he would be like, nah, no, I'm good. He so, but he's he's uh. This is his actually. This is his last year before retiring. So, what a crazy year for your last year before you oh. retire, man. So, can you wow. imagine if we if the pandemic would have happened like 30 years ago, before internet and before yeah. cell phones, mm-hmm. and everybody staying in? At least we can reach out to each other through technology right now. We would have went nuts, probably. Yeah. Yeah, you had, I mean, like this phone call would have cost like $15. (laughs) I know, know seriously. Well, I mean, I mean, that long ago, we would have been like, uh, hold on, you're going to be able to just look at your computer and you're going to be able to see the other person. Like, you know, I don't even know where you're at right now. And like, and it's like, what the heck, man, this is crazy. (laughs) Anyway. All right, coach. I thank you so much. Uh, really, really appreciate it. And then, uh, we, uh, yeah, this is uh, one more jump podcast. Really appreciate your time, everyone. And we'll catch you later.